Thank you for taking time out of your funky lives to join me on the latest episode of the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. My guest on this episode is Laura Tiber, and we'll be discussing the lyrics of the song Pop Life. Welcome back to the show, Laura. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. It's good to be here. I'm glad to have you, as always. You uh, you and I, we, we talk about some interesting songs. I think we last collaborated on Darling Nikki from Purple Rain. So that's that's. Uh... I still haven't forgiven you for that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it was great. It was great. I loved having you on for that episode. It's good to have, you know, um, an, a somebody who's not a man. I guess <laughs> we'll put it that way. Provide <laughs> a perspective right. on a song as sexy as Darling Nikki. So that's right. Before that, we did Private Joy. So we we've had a pretty good run here. So um, yeah, <laughs> can't yeah, wait to see sure. what this one brings. Yeah, so Pop Life is um, an interesting song from the standpoint that it was a the second release from the album in the United States. It was the third release in the UK and I think the rest of basically the world. Um, and it was a big hit over here. It, it went to uh, number seven on the pop charts, which is pretty pretty darn good. But I was doing some research and it really did not succeed on the charts anywhere else outside of the United States. Like it didn't crack the top 40 in just about every other country it was released in, which I didn't know that. I just assumed this was a kind of across the board smash for Prince, um, but that doesn't seem to be the case. It was just kind of a hit over here and kind of a middling uh, release for the rest of the world. Did you have any? Did you have any knowledge of that? Yeah, you know, I was surprised about that too, and um, I think probably the the fact that there was no video to accompany the the release of the single in um, July of '85 probably had something to do with that. I mean, video was huge back then, right? So, um, I mean, actually, the fact that it it made it to number seven—you said number seven on the Billboard yep. Hot 100—yeah. Yep. Um, that's that's actually a pretty good accomplishment considering, you know. Oh, you know what? Else? Actually, it's funny you said number seven because, okay, you know, Pop Life is track seven mm-hmm. off this off of uh, Around the World in a Day, um, and it's it made it to number seven, and it's got seven letters in its name. This is an auspicious song. <laughs> Yeah. And it's seven minutes long. No, it's not. It's not. I'm joking. <laughs> not Wouldn't that minutes. be funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, feels you know, Prince in the number seven, right? Uh, the thing for the number seven being born on yeah. June seventh. So um, yeah, I got a kick out of that when I saw all the sevens. But yeah, I, it, not a bad showing for a song without a video back at that time. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he did not release a video for a song in the you know the height of the MTV era really kind of hammers home the, the, the kind of um, idea that he had in the, at the time where he wanted to kind of shy away from the spotlight, uh, you know, and, and kind of retreat a little bit from the glare of the spotlight that was sh- shining so bright on him during Purple Rain. That was that seemed to be really like a, a big focus of him with, yeah, he's in the Raspberry Beret video. Raspberry Beret was kind of like the, hey, remember me? I haven't really gone anywhere because it was like three <laughs> months after Purple Rain, you know, the success and the Grammys and Oscars and all that stuff. But then it's Paisley Park's video doesn't show him at all. No video for Pop Life. Um, I think there's an, a there's a music video for America, but it's just a live performance, if I recall correctly, of it. So it's it's not like your traditional music video. And I don't have any memory of seeing that on MTV at the time. And that was a song that was only even released just the United States. 
in maybe a few other countries, not widely released around the world. So I think, and then also not featuring a single photo of him you know, on the album cover or in the sleeve or anything. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's it's on brand for Prince in 1985, really. Yeah, that was his stealth time until he, um, until Neil Carlin interviewed him for that uh, cover story for Ro- in Rolling Stone that I think you just shared on social media, didn't did. you? The, the September 85, you know, yeah. Fox. Yeah. So, uh, but even that, he wouldn't pose for a photo for that. So, um, <laughs> so you got that crazy photo of him where Rolling Stone messed with the spaces in his teeth to kind of, you know, give him a hard yeah, time. Yeah, it's just but... like a straight <laughs> capture from the Raspberry Beret video, right? I mean, that's yeah. all. It's just a yeah, that's from basically music. it, right? Yeah. Oh geez. Yeah. So so yeah. It's it's um it's it was a big dance hit. I mean, I think this you know this song. There's something about this song. It's almost like a. I was thinking it's almost like a drug. Like it's almost like a good drug, right? Where like you can't like how can you not like kind of just dance like move to this song when it comes on? Doesn't it just? I think if you're in a low mood, like this song, well, it's like guaranteed to lift your spirits, right? It's it's mm-hmm. just you can't help but kind of bop along at least. Yeah, it's really catchy, and and um, its placement on the album, as you mentioned, it's 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 track number seven. It's the second song on the second side of the record or tape, right after America. So like you've had Tambourine, America, Pop Life. You've had some kind of really upbeat songs, you know, danceable, yeah. catchy, poppy songs. Tambourine maybe a little too out there to be commercial, but it's um it's, you know it's definitely danceable and upbeat and then yeah. america's a kind of a fun rocking funky song and you've got pop life and pop life is it's really cool it's sonically it's very interesting like there's there's a lot of kind of cool effects going on in this song how it starts some of the music uh, the bass is funky so you've got like this really cool bass line that runs through it and then we'll get to it later on in the song but then you know the kind of the the odd stop where then you just get the uh, the crowd noises in the background. So it's a very sonically interesting song, I think. I think really it, it has a lot going for it in that realm. Prince is playing the the bass on this track, as far as I understand. So that's his his bass work, and it's really interesting to listen to. It's a great bass line, and yeah. So it, I think he's again, as usual, playing most of the um, instruments uh, with the addition of Sheila E on drums, right? Yeah, and she did the remix too of this song. Kind of, it was called the funk. No, what was it called? The Fresh Dance. Something. Yeah, it's the fresh dance, right? So that that's about a six-minute version or something, and then there's also a nine-minute. Yeah, yeah, we didn't so get they, that in the states. I think that was the UK or Europe or some other. Yeah, some other country got that version, but right. Yeah, no, we got the we got the Sheila E remix, which was cool. I liked it. Yeah, it's on the twelve-inch, and then also on the what Ultimate Prince release from the two thousands. Yeah, so this this song just I mean, he also, you know, he he's he played this really throughout his career, right? I mean, um I was just uh listening to the live at uh live at the Aladdin, the Las Vegas recording um from two what's that, December two thousand two and he does a great live version of Pop Life there with you know, um, the addition of a lot of horns, you know, Eric Lead takes a couple of great saxophone solos. So he just uh and he played this song 
um, during his last show at uh, the first show at the Fox Theater in Atlanta on April 14th, 2016. He played Pop Life. So he um, he he played this, you know, throughout his career. So I, I think I, I guess you can surmise Prince enjoyed it, too. <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure. And I did as well. I mean, I remember when the song was released. Uh, Raspberry Beret was a huge hit. I bought the album. Um, off, I mean, I bought the album because I was a Prince fan. I was a young Prince fan, but a Prince fan nonetheless. So I got the album and then Raspberry Beret kind of like, well, yeah, here he is back at making amazing music. And then Pop Life was released. I think I don't think I got the album right away. I think I got it. You know, I mean, I was 10, so I didn't have like a lot of disposable money to throw at, <laughs> throw at music. So I think I probably had to save up some money or else, uh, you know, join one of those record co- record clubs where you buy one get 12 free or something like that yeah there you go uh, yeah i had to wait a little bit and pop life was definitely a single before i got the album and uh, i heard it on the radio because like i you know, mentioned before i reached number seven on the pop chart so it was being played on my local radio station so i i remember hearing it remember really enjoying it and being really excited to to get the record after off the strength of uh, the raspberry beret and pop life singles yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's the themes in it are, it, it feels light, like the lyrics are light, right? There's nothing, you know, super complex or anything, but, you know, um, in true Prince form, I guess, uh, you know, some of the messages are are deep if you uh, delve in, which we always do. Yeah. <laughs> so. And right before we get into the lyrics, I just want one last thing I wanted to kind of bring up because I find it interesting. And so if anybody's listening to the show that doesn't really know kind of like how some of these songs came about or the timing around the songs that were recorded for Around the World in a Day. Uh, it's it's kind of fascinating to think that Pop Life was recorded in, in February of 1984, um, which is technically it was recorded, written and recorded before When Doves Cry, which was I mean, the first release off of Purple Rain. So think about that. Like This song was already done in the can before he even recorded when doves cry crazy I mean, my mind is blown that's so crazy yeah i mean this was the first song recorded for around the world in a day right february of of 84 and then the album was finished i think on christmas day of 84 is that right yeah, there, and then yeah there was now, a few songs recorded in early 84 but most of the rest of the album was recorded in mid or you know like the fall of 84 and then finished in winter before its release. Wow. Um, but this song was, yeah, it's, and the thing that boggles my mind is that this song, this song sounds so different than other songs he was making at this time. Like he had recorded, uh, he recorded Erotic City after this. He recorded When Doves Cry after this. He had just recorded, um, Another Lonely Christmas, like the day before this. Um, wow. Take Me With You was recorded a month before this. But this song feels like more of an outlier than the rest, to me at least. I mean, they all kind of sound different. They all have like their own different sound. But because songs like Take Me With You, When Doves Cry, Another Lonely Christmas, and Erotic City are all associated with the Purple Rain project, either as proper album songs or b-sides to songs from the album pop life sonically and lyrically feels like an outlier from the rest of the songs he was making around that same time 
to me at least. And so it feels like it's like he's already had this vision for his next record before his current record was even released. <laughs> I mean, it's mind-blowing. Two steps, three steps, five steps ahead, always. Uh, I mean, you, this is just Prince with the music just flowing out of him, right? Just like the spigot that can't be turned off. It, it is crazy. I mean, imagine recording a song like this in, what, two days, maybe it took him? I think it's, mm-hmm. that's what Dwayne Tootle's book said, and February 19th and 20th, and then on March 1st, you, you start When Doves Cry, <laughs> like 10 days later, mm-hmm. you're writing that song. It's, it is. It's just an incredible. It's like, uh, I guess it just shows the many, many facets of Prince. You know, he was he was such a contradiction in terms and in, in so many ways. And, you know, like, yeah, this many, many sides of him as a songwriter and musician. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just felt it was important to communicate that here because as we start going through the lyrics, which we'll do next, uh, I just want to keep that, that and I want everybody to keep that in mind ourselves, of course, primarily because we're talking about it. But to keep that in mind as we start to dissect these lyrics, because you have to think that this was recorded before the massive Purple Rain um, media onslaught and just the stratospheric rise that occurred because of the Purple Rain album and movie. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, he was, he was. A well-known name he had already been on the cover of rolling stone the 1999 album was very successful nobody's going to deny that so there could be some instances of that but i think it's just to keep that in the back of our head as we start going through the lyrics where he was what was going on in his life in early 84 compared to where many people might think oh this is this is a um you know this was written as a response to the the you know the events that Purple Rain of the of the album and success in touring and stuff like that. I was like, no, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. because this was recorded before the movie and album were even released. So just wanted to make that point. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the 1999 tour was pretty heady stuff. I I love this. It's so uh, Alex Han, my writing partner, um, interviewed Von Terry Jelks for our book, um, The Rise of Prince, and. Um, that was one of Prince's costume designers who was on the 1999 tour. And his quote about that tour was that it was a smorgasbord of attitude and vibe. (laughs) You know, I mean, there was some pretty heady stuff going on. You know, the time already had, you know, what, what time is it? Um, That came out in 82. That was their second album, right? That came out in 82. Right. And so, you know, the Vanity Six album was out in 82. You know, they were on this this tour. They were basically, you know, the time and prints like locked in battle every night, you know, and um, and I I think it was pretty heady stuff, even even at that level, you know, much less, you know, now the next stratospheric level that prince was about to experience but um but yeah it that's that's very interesting you know to put it in context of the time it was written because yeah the the truly like global superstar level hadn't even been reached yet right so let's let us begin then let us begin with the lyric dissection Your 
What's the matter with your life? Is the poverty bringing you down? Is the mailman jerking you around? Did he put your million dollar check in someone else's box? So that's that's the first verse, and it goes right into the second verse after that. There's no chorus between the first and second verse, but let's just look at that first grouping of lyrics. And, um, you know, the first thing that jumps out at me is that this is all just questions, you know, questions being asked. Um, what's the matter with your life? Is poverty bringing you down? Is the mailman jerking you around? Did he put your million dollar check in someone else's box? So he's talking to some, you kind of get the feeling he's talking to somebody here and asking a lot of questions, not really waiting for answers. You know, I just have in my notes, like, who is he? Who is he asking these questions to? Is he just making a comment about, you know, society and riffing on people who look looking to uh, luck their way out of their life situation instead of working for it? I mean, does he have like a really like pull your pull yourself up from your bootstraps kind of attitude going on with these lyrics in this first verse? Because I also get images of like the million dollar check at the, the publisher's clearinghouse, <laughs> sweepstakes, Ed McMahon, you know, that was kind of popular. And they'd have like, you get all that stuff in the mail and says, you know, million dollar check, you know, and, and it fooled people into thinking they just received a million dollar check. You just <laughs> want a million dollar check from publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. And you open it up if you, you know, return this and, <laughs> and you get chosen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, did you kind of get same imagery with that? Did you sense that? Or do you get something completely different? And what are your thoughts on this verse? You know, I just love the way he delivers that first line. You know, that, what's the matter with your life? You know, just, I know it's a little taunting, right? Like, like you know, it's it's got the, it's got an attitude, which I, I really like. But it's sort of like, yeah, you know, okay, what's the matter with your life? You know, but it's also got this undercurrent of, you know, what do you have to complain about, really? You know, like, okay, but okay, go on, you know. And uh, yeah, you're right. It's a series of questions, but you're, they are, they're kind of rhetorical questions because I agree with you. He's not really waiting for an answer, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, uh, he's, he's sort of, you know, in somebody's face a little bit about, about their sense of entitlement. And, uh, you know, just, you're feeling like you're not getting what's owed to you, right? I mean, he obviously, that's how he sees this other person. And, um, you know, you're not getting what's owed to you and you're looking around for someone to blame, you know, there's Mm -hmm. plenty of blame to go around, I guess, including the mailman. So, so, uh, but yeah, I just love the way he delivers these lines. Uh, it's, it's just full of attitude. It probably was really fun to sing too. I can't, I can't even imagine, but you know, I don't know if you read, um, Morris Day's, uh, biography. I did. From, yes. Okay. So do you remember Morris Day said he felt like Prince was preaching to him in these lines? Well, yeah, it's the, there's a specific verse much later in the song that <laughs> yep. that I think Morris was either uh, took offense to or at least thought was aimed at him. And and when we get to that verse, I'll definitely bring it up. But like with this verse, though, I never really thought, you know, that I never really felt like this was being addressed to anybody specific because I, I don't know who... Who Prince would be talking about in terms of like poverty? Because if he couldn't be, t- he wouldn't be talking to Morris Day with his verse because Morris was part of the time and the time was popular in 1984. Um, they were, you know, he was, they, Morris had just 
wrapped filming of Purple Rain, the film, as an actor, and Prince was writing music with the time to still come up with that Ice Cream Castles album. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who's I, talking I to you. I think it could be. I don't know. Morris Day said that um, he and Prince argued about money heatedly, and that um, you know, for example, for um, Purple Rain, he did not make that much money. It was, it was about fifty thousand dollars, I think. So um, they did fight about money. Now, I, I don't know. Listen, I mean, Morris Day didn't directly address this with Prince. So who knows who he's writing about, right? I mean, it, he could have been writing about vanity. I, I don't know, because vanity also left, you know, in part due to money. So, um, you know, there's there's a million a million meanings for this. But I, I guess I kind of had that context in my mind about band members sort of wanting their due and wanting a piece of the you know, piece of the the pie that way. Um, but, you know, really the only one who's going to be getting the million dollar check is Prince. So, yeah, <laughs> he's the one who's on top. Yeah, I think I think the whole poverty thing threw me off because obviously none of these artists were living in poverty. No. So it's it's a sure if if it would have been anybody who was in his camp that was kind of complaining about their cut. Uh, complaining about how much they felt they were owed and not getting as being, you know, part of uh, the movie and the film that was coming out or, you know, like in Vanity's case by by early 84, obviously she was already out of the picture. Yeah, yeah I, I guess. I guess it could. It could work. It could be like a really um, a different way of approaching that those gripes by exaggerating them a lot you know like they're they're complaining about living in poverty you know like i don't pay them enough and they have to live in squalor as a result but yeah we all know that's an exaggeration but maybe prince felt like this is what the, the complaints kind of sounded like to him is oh prince prince we we can't afford this and that because you don't pay us enough you know yep. for him for to him to, to then like take that and throw it back at him like Prince was a hard worker, you know, he worked really hard. And if he if he didn't feel like others were working as hard as him, then I don't think he felt like a lot of sympathy if they weren't as successful um, and didn't make as much money as him. It's like, you know, I did this. I, you know, you're here because of me. Sometimes you kind of feel he had that attitude at times, um, especially if they were starting to get out of line a little bit. Oh my gosh, totally. Yeah, I mean, Prince was hard on people. I mean, and that's kind of an understatement. So he was yeah. hard on people. And, you know, at the same time, I mean, let's be honest, he created Morris Day. I don't mean Morris Day the person. I mean Morris Day the character right. that that was went on stage, right? He created that. So in a way, it's... Um, I get I, I get that feeling that he had, but he, he also was really tough on people. But yeah, I think, you know, in Prince's mind, the only one getting the million dollar check is gonna be him. Um, and <laughs> that's that's how I'm interpreting this. But let's let's uh, yeah, let's continue. I, I yeah. also think you're right. It can be it's just a general like also can be taken like for, for anyone even today, like how you know, you feel so entitled to something. Well, you know, it really okay let's let's take a closer look yeah because for for 90 percent of the population hearing the song they didn't know anything about the backstory or any of the kind of infighting that was happening during the prince camp at this time that would eventually break the time up and eventually morris would leave 
uh, the Prince camp and uh, for, you know, at least temporarily. And so nobody's privy to that. So all they can do is kind of like internalize it and listen to the lyrics and think to themselves, yeah, this is, there's plenty of people out there that are looking for handouts. Um, yep. And if somebody's got the attitude, like I worked, I mean, Prince in this case, worked really hard to get where I am. Like I really busted my ass to get where I am. You can do it too. And uh, that's kind of the message I get a little bit with that verse. I like that. Okay, now you're taking it to like an inspiring level. That's good. Like, <laughs> like life isn't going to hand you anything, right? You gotta, you've got to keep, you know, working for what you want. So yeah, except he's being really good. snarky about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love snarky Prince. It's like Prince one of my being, favorite iterations of Prince. <laughs> being very snarky in this song. Yep. Yep. He is the king of snark. Yep. For sure. <laughs> So with that said, then moving on with the next verse, because as I mentioned, it goes, the two verses flow right into each other. He goes, what's the matter with your world? Was it a boy when you wanted a girl? Don't you know, straight hair ain't got no curl. Life, it ain't real funky unless it's got that pop. There's some echo going on. Um, Wendy and Lisa, or Wendy or Lisa, I'm not sure who, is singing behind Prince. Was it a boy when you wanted a girl? Boy, when you wanted a girl. Yeah. So straight hair ain't got no curl. No curl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I like that. Uh, I always like when Wendy and Lisa chime in during Revolution-era songs. I, I always liked the male-female dynamic in in Prince songs you know having background singers be female or if it's Jill I mean I'm looking at the credits on the album I know Jill a lot of times didn't get the credit she deserved on mm. uh, at least the uh, documented credit that she deserved on music recorded during this era but the record just mentions Wendy and Lisa but I think we kind yeah. of have learned and since then that Jill was also very involved in background vocals um, but I don't know for a fact in this song whether she was uh, okay, so second verse. What do you see, Laura? What do you like about this one? What did you want to point out? Um, you know, I love that. Okay, so I mean, Pop Life has so many great lines that, you know, the Prince fandom just loves to repeat. And, you know, don't you know, straight hair ain't got no curl. Come on. Like, that is a great line. People say that all the time in the, in the, in the Prince community. So that is just a classic. And, um, yeah, so we're now we're just more questions coming at you you know really boy when you wanted a girl like oh that's that's just i mean we're talking first world world problems right like this mm -hmm. is i mean this is kind of the the 2020 term for it uh, this was not a term back in 1985 but these are complete first world problems like it's not enough to have a baby now it's got to have the gender you prefer you know i mean so you've got straight hair you know i mean really first world problems so mm -hmm. um yeah and i think i think it you know then it takes us to like it ain't real funky unless it's got that pop and yeah it's sort of it unless it's got that like the adulation the pop is adulation you know like the approving roar of the crowd you know it's um, so yeah, I, I love this part. I love when Wendy and Lisa come in, and uh, it just adds so much. Mm, um, it, does. I, it does. Yeah, for sure. What do you think about these verses? Well, with this one, all I really see is just like he seems to be calling out people with like a grass is greener type 
uh, attitude toward life. Like I had, mm. like you already mentioned, like I have this, I have a healthy baby boy, but I wanted a girl, you know, so I'm kind of complaining about it. Um, I've got like this nice flowing head of straight hair. Sure it would be nice if it was curly though, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> like, well, yeah. yeah, yeah, just this whole grass is greener thing. Like I don't, I want what I don't have. Uh, even though what I have is perfectly fine. And right. what's the matter with your world? So it's kind of like, no, oh, I just I just see him like, what's the matter with your life? What's the matter with your world? Starting these verses off. It's, it's totally said with like an attitude, as you mentioned, and snarkiness that I mentioned. He's kind of like rolling his eyes as he's, as he's asking these questions. What's the matter with your world? Like, come on. I mean, complaining much? So... Yeah. Um, I don't. I get like these complaints are not, especially in this verse, aren't real complaints. They're just like uh, echo chamber complaints where you know, people <laughs> are complaining just to complain and just want to hear themselves complain and just you know, wallow in self misery and and over nothing. And but the life it ain't real funky unless it's got that pop. Dig it. So like how it ends and blends into the chorus then. It, it kind of brings up the whole pop life and what is what is the pop that he's referring to. Life ain't real funky unless it's got that pop. So, you know, you think of pop in, in the context of this song, you think like, you know, that, that I don't know, that like that special something, that, um, you know, like this thrill or whatever this thrill is, it's the spark, uh, yep. what, whatever that is for that person to to make your life kind of shine and make that make your life um exceptional i guess it's kind of like how i think of it yeah. and it, it doesn't specify what that is it's just kind of like this this really kind of vague idea which is kind of cool because then you this whatever it is that makes life funky and makes it pop for you can be applied yeah yeah i think you're right i mean i think it's Hey, you know, what comes to mind is that I don't know if you've ever heard this saying, but don't don't turn your blessings into a burden. And it, it, it kind of, you know, it just makes you think that whoever Prince is is, you know, asking these questions of is, you know, not looking at not being grateful for probably the really wonderful situation they're in. And they're just, you know, picking at. They're, they're just kind of picking it apart or looking at the negative side or something and not really being, um, yeah, may, maybe it's, maybe they're turning their blessings into a burden. And Sounds uh, like it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I would agree with that. Blessings into a burden. I like that. So then that goes into the chorus, pop life, everybody needs a thrill, pop life, we all got a space to fill, pop life, everybody can't be on top, but life it ain't real funky unless it's got that pop, dig it. Okay, so with the chorus, you know, we just kind of like a fun sing-along chorus, pop life, everybody needs a thrill, yeah, we kind of spoke a little bit about that with the lyrics already, everybody needs a thrill, Everybody needs something to kind of wake up for, a purpose. Everybody needs a purpose in life, something to make their life meaningful, make it interesting, make it fun. Um, and 
for, I guess, and I mean, pop also uh, has connotations when talking, especially when it's coming out of the mouth of a musician, to be thinking of popular, like pop is short for popular. Yeah. Um, and pop music is popular music. So are you living, is, is Prince kind of talking about what it means to be living a life that is popular, like he's popular now, and which is kind of why I wanted to bring up the fact that this is be- written before Purple Rain. Now he wasn't a nobody <laughs> before Purple Rain. Obviously, he was he was well known musician, very popular, not as popular as he would be in less than a year. But it just kind of, for me, also speaks to that as thinking of it coming out of the mouth of a of a musician, of a singer who's on the cusp of that massive stardom he's already kind of singing a song about i don't know you can take this to mean a little bit like he's a little tired of it but but even though you kind of think that it can be because of the way the lyrics the verses are sung with all this kind of snarky attitude and negativity towards these things but the chorus is is joyful it's kind of uh, upbeat and it's it's um it doesn't paint a pop life in a negative light to me at least does it to you i mean i think he's no i think i I think he's just um showing kind of i think this is just a little bit of a dig at people who you know chase kind of cheap thrills right and he's he's somewhat um i think digging it you know just pointing out the superficiality of it Mm -hmm. of pop life right but you know it's it's sort of a it's a game right and we've all got a place in this in this game and um yeah not everyone can be on top so so yeah i think i mean i like this it's interesting that he goes into everybody needs a thrill because i i think about prince as a writer and i think of you know the words that you hear recur and in uh, let's go crazy he says pills and thrills and daffodils will kill right (laughs) and that was recorded before this that was recorded in august of 83 and this is february of 94 so not terribly long afterward but you know that that also kind of makes me think that everybody needs a thrill a thrill will kill he says in some way right it's it's chasing cheap thrills that can catch up to you um and uh, I love this line about we all got a space to fill. I love that. You know, I, I think I still I got a little sad thinking about this because I'm like Prince left such a big space to fill, you know, when he when he passed. But, you know, if you if you think about like the time and Prince and Vanity Six, I mean, they each had their own space, right? They each had their own um, special place and, uh, they each had, you know, there's room for everybody. Right. But, you know, ironically, I don't think Prince was happy unless he was on top, mm, <laughs> so, right. but, um, but yeah, yeah. you have a space to fill. It just has to be like the space I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. this is right. where it's the space you're going to fill Morris and over here, vanity, you're going <laughs> to fill this space. And, uh, but yeah, you, you know, we're all, we're all collectively one unit, but I'm going to tell you where your space is. <laughs> yeah. You know, Prince, like just when you think he's like, oh, this is so nice. We all got a space. Then you realize, oh no, wait a second. <laughs> a little too <laughs> controlling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that's the great thing about, about Prince. But yeah. yeah I mean, it, he, it was, it, 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 he was very successful because of that. I think not in spite right? of it, but because of it, I feel right. I mean, he controlled yeah, his I own think- image. 
and he was very successful because of it. He didn't let anybody mold him in his in his vision, and so we got what well, we got what we got because of that. I think. Yes, I think you're right. I mean, and remember, like Prince came up in you know on the North Side in the in the 70s, and he, when every block had a band, right? And and you know he he just grew up in this real life battle of the bands, and you know somebody's got to lose in the battle of the bands, right? And and Prince is just so insanely competitive. I mean, I I talked to Shane Keller last year for um for a different piece I wrote. Shane Keller is a recording engineer who started his career at Paisley Park in 1991, and he said something to me like, you know, okay, on my last day at Paisley Park, he's like, I went out on a high, I beat Prince. And I was like, what do you mean? What you what you beat Prince? And he told me in the studio that Prince would like, literally, he was so competitive, that he would do this to engineers, he would say, um, you don't need to touch that knob, don't touch that knob. I don't want to see you touch that knob. And then Shane would have to figure out a workaround for recording without touching this knob. And then, you know, he would do it. And then Prince would say, no, not that love. No, I don't No, Don't change that. No, I don't want you touching that. I want to see you touching that. So then <laughs> Shane would have to go. <laughs> and he said he literally did it. He beat Prince. He won in the end. He stayed ahead of Prince. Successful recording session. Everything Prince prohibited from doing. He found a workaround. Boom. He went out on top. That's how competitive Prince was. Yeah. Like yeah. trying wow. to beat his own engineer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so you know, he, yeah, he's a competitive guy. He's he's gonna be he's gonna be on top. Somebody somebody loses in the battle of the bands and. Um, you know, I think we shouldn't forget. We shouldn't forget that that you know he's he's guy has a competitive spirit, and you're right, it drove him to to where he wound up. Yeah, I feel like the chorus is also kind of trying to say like we all need to kind of accept our role in life, um, and not just talking about the people in this camp, just everybody. Uh, and I'm not saying stay in your lane, like do this one thing that you're good at, and, and never branch out. But as far as like we all have a space to fill, like it's if you think of it in a very positive way, it can be like empowering. Doesn't matter if if you do, I don't know if you're a brain surgeon or if you're a world-renowned musician or if or if you clean houses for a living. There, we all have a space to fill. It's all valuable. It's all valuable to our society and to the world. These 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 roles that we fill as mothers, as fathers, as friends, we all have a space to fill and we can't all be on top because then, you know, you think of, of society as kind of like this pyramid um, and whether or not it should be or shouldn't be it's up for debate, but it is. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people on the lower part of the pyramid and, and, I'm, and, and that's mostly I'm speaking like from a financial standpoint, like you know socioeconomic status there's a lot of people on the lower end and not so many people at the top um but that's just how it's kind of structured and if everybody's on top then nobody's on top you know so i think he's thinking this is where i've gotten um and not everybody can be here because there's just not enough space here to for all of us to be at the top there's just not enough room um, everybody needs to just accept what you do, that you do well, 
um, be happy with that. Like the first two verses kind of speak to people who are a little bit unhappy and, and kind of talking to them and asking them, why are you so unhappy? Are you unhappy because you're not a million a millionaire? Are you unhappy because for these stupid frivolous reasons? <laughs> like, yeah, boy, when you wanted a girl, et cetera, et cetera. And just re- reminding ourselves that, you know, we can find thrills in other ways. We could find ways to make ourselves happy in other ways besides, you know, massive uh, success, um, enormous amounts of, of money. That's That doesn't necessarily equate with success. And if he's singing it that way, like, hey, everybody stay in your lane, that's cool. But he could also be another ways this song could be interpreted as he's singing it to himself, I guess, a little bit. Like, I'm a little tired of this already <laughs> in 1984. Yeah. Oof. You know, sorry, guy, but you've got, <laughs> you have decades and decades more ahead of you in terms of your career and your, um, your being on top, uh, especially in very near future. But if he's singing it about himself, if you think of it like he's kind of telling himself that, yeah. Uh, is he is he tired of being on top and wants to find his own new space to fill? If that's true, um, it would take him a, a few more years for him to kind of find that new space as more of a, a niche artist in the uh, 80s or in the 90s and the 2000s because the 80s he was still massively popular and that wasn't going to change and even in spite of some of the, the more difficult music that he was making on this record in particular. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really, uh, that, that's insightful. And, you know, you're right. This is a much more subdued album than um, Purple Rain. And, uh, you know, as Prince's career would go on, of course, he would write other songs. Uh, you know, I guess Gold is one, right, from, is that 95, 94, 95, where all that glitters is in gold. And um, in uh, Off the Truth and uh, Don't Play Me, he sings about I've been to the mountaintop. No, and it ain't what you think. I mean, so he, you know, he he returns once he has actually been to the t- very top of the mountain. He does he does sing again um, about this theme. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, but I think this certainly is kind of the first time, um, you know, that we get a glimpse into his mind as he as he thinks about the you know kind of the pitfalls of fame yeah. and uh, you know what it takes to be on top. Certainly could be looked at that way for sure. Okay, uh, any other thoughts on the chorus before we move on? Uh, no, but except for, you know, I, I think uh, as you were talking about the fact that When Dogs Cry was written after this, I did think about, um, you know, him, him singing, you know, Life It Ain't Real Funky Unless It's Got That Pop, Dig It. And I thought, ah, dig if you will the picture. So he was he was into that term right at the time when you think about him as a writer, uh, and I think about the words that get repeated. Dig it. He was that was kind of a thing for him at the moment because he uses it again in One Dub's Cry. The next verse in the song, he says, he comes off with the tell me again. What's that underneath your hair? Is there anybody living there? 
Anybody living there? You can't get over if you say you just don't care. Don't care. Show me a boy who stays in school. I'll show you a boy aware. Dig it. Okay, so in this third verse, uh, this one's, you know, I don't know. This one's pretty straightforward. I feel like, tell me what's underneath your hair. Anybody living there? You're just referring to somebody's brain. I think that's yeah. pretty clear. Um, I don't really know how else to interpret that. And, you know, like anybody in there, you have that image of somebody knocking on somebody's head. Anybody in there, you know, is it empty? <laughs> 80s hair was big, too. 80s yeah, hair was right. Very big. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and there was that, I think that term airhead was really popular then. So um, that's that came to mind when I heard when I was looking at that, too. Yeah. Um, and if you can't get over if you can't get over if you say you just don't care. Uh, I take that to kind of mean like lazy people don't succeed. <laughs> like if you don't yeah. put in the work to get over means to succeed. Right. So if you can't get over, if you can't succeed. Um, it's because you don't care. Like you don't put enough into it. You're not putting your, you're not putting enough work into it than I'm putting into it. This goes back to the whole, seems like the song is, is like an alternate kind of interpretation of these lyrics is that Prince is trying to, tell everybody that they can pull themselves up and it's very upwardly mobile he has upwardly mobile uh aspirations himself and he succeeded in that so you know i can do it why can't you and i and granted yes not everybody is as talented as prince of a musician so it's a little bit like yeah but you're like a once in a generation a lifetime musician we can't all be you prince <laughs> um, but then again, it doesn't have to be about music. It can be about whatever it is that we're wanting to succeed in or, you know, find value in. So if you don't care, so I think the message is still like, if you don't care, you're not going to succeed. You have to, you have to care about something. You have to really put the time and the work in to succeed. And, and then he reiterates that with the show me a boy who stays in school. I'll show you a boy aware learn your craft you know whatever it is that you need to study to be successful um you have to put that time in up front yeah yeah i mean interestingly um i i looked at uh in morris day's book he uh says that he dropped out of high school after junior year so this to me i mean not to take it too far but it's it's potentially pointing in that direction, right? Like that, that Morris Day didn't graduate high school and um, Prince did. So <laughs> it's again, that could, that could be part of it. And, um, you know, he, he may just saying, I mean, and also, you know, Prince's mother was an educator. So um, I think that that probably had a lot to do with, you know, it was very important that Prince graduate. Um, but, but yeah, it may be another remark directed to Morris. It may not, but certainly Morris um, didn't stay in school and Prince did. Um, so <laughs> it, it could be, it could be a little dig there, but I, I think too, you know, it's interesting when he says, you know, you can't get over if you say you just don't care. Um, that term get over. He also, you're right. I mean, I agree. It means, you know, to win, to succeed. And he used that in his first interview that he gave um, to his high school newspaper, Central High School in uh, Minneapolis. And he, he's complaining about Minneapolis and that he was born there, unfortunately, he says. And he says about his band that, you know, I really feel if we would have lived in L.A. or New York or another big city, we would have gotten over by now. So, he, he you know, that's a term we've heard Prince use in the past. Um, yeah. 
we would have gotten over. But yeah, I don't know. I'm a little suspicious. When I figured, when I figured out Morris didn't graduate high school, I was like, mm, maybe Morris is right. <laughs> might be <laughs> pointed toward it. It might be Prince might be preaching at him here a little bit. Well, if that's the case, if you think about this being recorded in February of '84, I mean, we know like the recording or the um, the filming of Purple Rain film, the movie itself, it was kind of you know Prince and Morris Day really did have some beef you know they had issues with each other that kind of started stemming around the the 1999 tour and extended into this filming of this movie and so it, it wouldn't be surprising because this is the beginning of the the end for the time and essentially the time as we knew it in the first two albums was gone by uh purple rain filming in 1983 late 83 and so the ice cream castles album was a time album uh you know it still had jelly bean it still had jesse it still had morris but then there was all these other new players and i think there uh you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think there really was true bubbling up animosity between the two of them during the purple rain movie filming is that yeah accurate yes that's you're right you're absolutely right so there was there was a lot going on you know there had been a lot going on on the tour the 1999 tour and and then you know morris was uh really having issues during the filming of purple rain and i think he wrote about that in his own book you know um and uh it had become somewhat unreliable here and there in terms of showing up on time and, and things like that i think that's all documented but um yeah so there there was somewhat of a beef and i think you know, I think too. There, I mean, I think deep down, Prince had a had a great love for Morris. You know, um, which you know, Morris told the story about the end at the near the end of Prince's life, where they uh, he visits Paisley Park and Prince, you know, and uncharacteristically hugs him and tells him he loves him. I think there was there, you know, maybe this is like you know a, an attempt at tough love. I don't know, but. Um, and it, it could be a general commentary that Prince is making with a few little tidbits thrown in here and there to, to maybe get Morris's attention. Sure. Absolutely could be possible. Okay, so that's the third verse. Third verse for me is, I mean, I like the what's underneath your hair is anybody living there. It's kind of a funny line, but uh, I think there's other more interesting verses in the song than the third one, personally. Okay, so then we get the chorus again, so I won't repeat that because it is identical as it was sung before. So then the, the kind of the fourth and final verse of the song with new lyrics uh, is what you're putting in your nose. Is that where all your money goes? And then you get the echo. Is that where your money goes? The river of addiction flows. You think it's hot, but there won't be no water when the fire blows. Dig it. And so this is the, this is the verse that I, I thought Morris had kind of cited in his book. I mean, he's, he kind of talked about pop life being about him, but I always felt like this was the verse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this it, was the, the verse. The questions that, get more pointed, for sure. <laughs> this was the verse that called him out. But 
as I start thinking about it more, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I want to finish my thought about Morris. This was the verse that I felt like Morris may have taken the most offense to if if he was feeling like, man, he's talking about me. You know, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what is he trying to say here? You know, what are you putting in your nose that where all your money goes is a very clear drug reference, mm -hmm. uh, cocaine specifically. And, but it's the 80s, you know, and I was thinking about this, like, so Morris says that in the book, but did Prince ever tell Morris that, or is that just Morris projecting? I, I don't think Prince ever told him that, no. Yeah. This right. is, this is more, yeah, Morris said I never talked to him about it, but, or he never had that conversation, but um, he said, I feel like he was preaching to me for sure. So, you know, again, in, in Princedom that, you know, there are plenty of people who think that songs are about them. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I, you know, obviously it's, it's, it could be, it could be about any number of people or no one at all because it's Prince. Uh, so, but it is interesting just to think about what was going on around Prince at that time. And, you know, you, you, you kind of have this feeling of like Prince living this good, you know, squeaky clean, clean life. And, you know, he's preaching to the those who are around him who maybe aren't as squeaky clean that's that's sort of how i take this verse mm, for sure yeah so i mean morris documented his own drug problems and drug addictions in his book so that's well documented yes it's not a secret he had a drug problem around this time um so yeah this certainly could be about him could not who knows but I mean, I mean, Vanity had a drug problem, a very well-documented drug problem as well. Mm -hmm. And she had just recently left the Prince camp as well. So he might still be stinging from her departure. I have no idea, you know, when her, her, um, her drug addiction began. I don't know if it began while she was still with Prince and he saw it. And so that was one of the, who knows, multitude of reasons why they ended their relationship. So I don't, I mean, so, so Morris says yes in his book, you know, the way he wrote his book was from two voices, his voice, and then he would alternate into Prince's voice when Prince was quote unquote talking to him or how he, how he, he would hear Prince's voice responding to something that Morris would say, because, you know, of all their time together, he just like, I kind of have this sixth sense. This is what Prince would say in this moment, even though yeah. Prince did not say that. So we have to just remember that Prince didn't say, yes, I wrote Pop Life About You, Mars. So it could be about a lot of different people. It could be just a, a general comment on <laughs> drug addiction at that time. I mean, it was the 80s after all. And we all kind of know like cocaine and, and casual use of drugs was a was a thing. Not that it isn't anymore, but it, it yeah. was... I don't know. I mean, that's kind of the perception that the 80s and 70s and 80s have is a very <laughs> drug-fueled yeah. uh, time um, with artists, musicians, actors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it could just be a comment about society in, in general, like wasting yeah. all your money on drugs, um, river addiction flows. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very clear, clearly talking about um, you know, the, the destructive effects of addiction in this fourth verse, I feel. Yeah, you think it, yeah, I like how he delivers that line too. You think it's hot, you know, but there won't be no water when the fire blows. It's, I mean, it's interesting metaphor, addiction as a river, I guess, and uh, it kind of can carry you away. 
So yeah. uh, that's how I take that. The other person I thought of, like, well, there's another clear uh, rival of Prince's, Rick James. I mean, oh. Prince, and, Prince <laughs> oh, and Rick James yeah. hated each other, uh, <laughs> by all accounts. And, and Rick James, also another musician with a well-documented drug problem. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it could be. I mean, listen, there were plenty of that to go around at the time but um yeah could be could have been you know as as prince thought back to that tour that um you know where they opened for rick james um could have certainly been based on that and i you know it's just i I think it's just a commentary on you know pop pop culture pop life and it's pitfall you know the pitfalls of chasing that high of pop life yeah yeah i mean we're putting a lot of really specific examples in here because we have the benefit of 35 years of of biographies and accounts and stories being told but for anybody listening to the song in 85 they're not going to know all this so you just got to think like this is just a comment about drug addiction in general um and and it's and it still works perfectly like if prince wrote it with somebody in mind cool but it doesn't take away from the fact that it's the whole song is kind of talking about all the life's trappings you know and then the things that can can really kind of bog us down um envy uh addiction um you know like poverty and then i mean it kind of goes back to envy like wanting something that you can't have and somebody else has because you don't have the money for it mm-hmm. it just uh you know lack of lack of privacy lack of um identity things that bring you down and not looking for that thing that this this pop life that we're supposed to be looking for to build us back up and forget and kind of put aside all of these this negative things that are making life diff- more difficult than it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, if you can just not stop being addicted to drugs, <laughs> you know, uh, stop yes. being envious of everybody else and what they have. Just accept who you are, stay in your lane, fill your space, and find your own thrills. And that's the kind of, I feel like that's, and I'm, I'm really kind of oversimplifying it, of course, but um, because at the time, that's how I always thought of this song. And it only... It only took on new life um, recently with all the, like I said, the biographies and all the accounts being told and stories being told and autobiographies in Morris's case. So I have to remember, like, that is not the way I thought of this song for most of my life. And think of it and return it back to its most simplest form, which is, I don't know... Prince's relationship with Morris Day in 1985. For all I knew, they were just co-stars in a movie. Yeah. Um, I wasn't that familiar with like that. And Jamie Star was Prince. No idea. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, for those listening to this episode, I mean that that's kind of like it's cool to be able to put this new information here and kind of plug and play as we learn stuff. And I love doing that. Uh, but at the same time, let's let's also rewind a little bit look at it in 1985 goggles you know like with our glasses on from 35 years ago and think to ourselves this is also just a really kind of a caution in a way a bit of a cautionary tale but uh trying to be like an uplifting one i feel 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's not a heavy song at all. It's like it's it's very light feeling, and it's I mean, it's a pretty it's a pretty it's actually a fairly mellow funk song. You know, when you think about the the beat, it's not you know a super up tempo number. It's kind of you know languid and funky, and you know it's it, it's um it's a little more subdued. You know, it's but it, but you can also you, you know you can think of it a little bit as like the the flip side to Baby I'm a Star, right? It's, it's somewhat, yeah, yeah, maybe you're a star, but he, yeah, a little a few things you might want to watch out for, right? Uh, don't let all that go to your head, and um, uh, yeah, don't let pop life go to your head, because it, it is heady stuff, right? It is heady stuff. Okay, so after he says the chorus again, so after we get the fourth verse, we get a chorus. Then as soon as he says, unless it's got that pop, and then... You get the, as I kind of already alluded to, the section of the song where the music stops, and then you just get the sound of, of like a crowd cheering or jeering. I, you know, you kind of hear "Throw the Bum Out." This has been well documented and I almost feel like redundant talking about it because uh, it's been debunked. But there, but for anybody listening that's never heard this theory that there was a rumor going around, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, um, that this section was a recording from Prince's uh, appearance as the opening act for the Rolling Stones in 1981. That somebody <laughs> had grabbed audio of the crowd uh, jeering him and telling him to get off stage, throw that. I think the throw the bum out line is probably what made people think that, and um, then cheering when he was leaving because it's kind of like boo type, you know, jeering, and then you get a cheer <laughs> like you vision, like in your mind, if you think that this is really what's happening, like Prince and the band walking off stage, everybody's cheering now, like, yeah, we got him off the stage, we what we did worked, we got him to leave. Um, <laughs> But that has been debunked. That is not what this is. It nope. is just simply um, like a, a, a audio clip from like a warehouse full of just random samples of audio, right? I mean, that's yeah. That's, Dwayne Tudal wrote. Um, he's got in in his book, The Purple Rain Sessions, um, the exact two clips it is, and. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I I think it's a great it's a great story. I can see why it it caught on, but yeah, not at all true. You're right. I mean, it's you know you hear so um, he says pop, and then you hear a bell ring, mm -hmm. like you would hear you know in a um, boxing match or a wrestling match, and then you hear some sort of it sounds like bodies colliding or slapping or something, right? Or like punches or bodies hitting each other. And then you hear someone say, throw the bum out. And then, um, and the, the crowd sort of boos. And then you're right, it kind of explodes. It erupts into cheers. And, you know, here's the thing. That's called a crowd pop. So when a, when a crowd, um, it's a term from professional wrestling. So a crowd pop is the sound the crowd makes when it erupts in applause and like if you google crowd pop wrestling like you'll find articles with like the, the you know 15 best crowd pops in the history of wrestling so this is that was a crowd pop that's why that's here it's a pop 
Yeah, interesting. So, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a crowd pop, and that's、oh. a wrestling term. So,、uh, yeah, that's that's、uh, the connection. But it, yeah, the Rolling Stones. That, that's a good. That was a good theory. Yeah, <laughs> like, like yeah, you said, it is. Yeah, <laughs> pop life. The crowd exploded. The crowd cheering. Right, the sounds of the the crowd. That's a pop. Yeah, I think I think people wanted it to be that the whole、uh, Prince getting booed off stage. Because that makes, <laughs> like you said, makes for a really, really cool story,、uh, really cool anecdote. Like, hey, did you know? <laughs> kind of thing. Like, if you、right. like that, you can like tell all your friends that this is what this is, and this is really kind of an interesting little piece of trivia. But no, sadly, it's not. And and honestly, I mean, so Prince was never really, to my understanding and how what I've read, he wasn't really big on looking back. So、right. it would also surprise me for Prince to reach back three years to kind of a painful memory, like I, I, the way I understood it from accounts at the time, people who were there. He was really affected by that. So for him, yeah, cer- certainly he could use that as fuel for success later. But then three years later, go back and and grab that just doesn't sound like something he would do anyway. No, I agree, and also I don't think you know the Rolling Stone concert. Each act didn't come out to the ring of like a bell, like <laughs> round one. They, no, that would have. Prince. <laughs> yeah, that would have had to be some <laughs> studio <laughs> trickery later. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think the bell somewhat you know, like debunks that whole that whole theory, but.、Um, But yeah, I, I I believe it's a wrestling match because I I think that's throw the bum out to me. Well, it could be boxing, I guess. Could be boxing as well. But it sounds sounds to me like a professional wrestling match, actually. Yeah, because you, you know, know the pro wrestling matches really、uh, encourage crowd participation to a point. Not like literally get on get on the mat and start wrestling with us, but you know, like they have the villains and they have the. You know, the heroes and the good guys, the bad guys, and you can see somebody yelling "throw the bum out" to to one of the wrestlers that they don't particularly like, and trying to, you know, kind of like getting really caught up in it and and say.、Yeah. So that, I I think that's a nice theory. I I like that. It also,、uh, yeah, it speaks to we all got a space to fill, right? You got to have the bad guys, the good guys, you know,、yeah. <laughs> winners, losers. There you go. <laughs> and I re- and I read somewhere,、um, and this was a question asked of him years later. Somebody in an interview, like a televised interview, asked him, "What was the purpose of that? Like, why did you include this in this song? Because it it isn't it comes kind of comes out of nowhere." You yeah, don't, you don't know why it's there. Doesn't really like if it wasn't there, the song would wouldn't be any different.、Um, you know, like from a conceptual standpoint. And he's like, "Yeah, good question. I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm paraphrasing. That, those aren't those right. Exactly, but, When、yeah. people ask him questions like that, and believe me, I probably would have been one asking a question like that. But you know, it's not. Have you ever heard Prince go, "Well"? You know, let me tell you. Let me explain that in detail. No, of course, it's Prince. He's never gonna. He's gonna let the mystery continue, right? He's not gonna tell you what that is. So you gotta yeah, figure yeah. it out. Yeah, like, I'd like to know too. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. Of course, he's gonna figure it out. Let me know. know. 
he knows darn well what the whole thing is. He, you know, Prince never did anything unintentionally, right? That was put there very intentionally as a crowd pop. So, um, you know, it's uh, I think it ties the whole song together actually, and it's it's kind of funny, it's sort of humorous actually. <laughs> yeah, it's very jarring. Like you, you're, yeah. it just happens very abruptly. Like the song ends abruptly, so it kind of. Like I said, it's jarring. Like you're thinking, you're singing along the song, the chorus is going, all of a sudden, everything stops, and you get this crowd pop. <laughs> and um, and really, uh, one thing I noted about this because I had mentioned this in a previous episode, I think I was doing the Paisley Park episode, and I had mentioned in that episode that this album came out after I had been really diving into my mom's Beatles records. So she was a Beatles fan in the 60s, and so she had a bunch of Beatles records. And so I was kind of obsessed around this time and a couple of years prior with the Sgt. Pepper's record. So I, it was going to be pretty, uh, pretty natural connection for me to make between Sgt. Pepper's, which I just discovered maybe a year or two prior, and this record, even though they were made decades apart because of yeah. the very... Um, visual connections with the uh you know the kind of the um psychedelic uh artwork and some of the sounds that prince was experimenting with uh i i pick up probably more so than it deserves to beatles influences in this album even if they're even if he was or wasn't influenced by them because right. just because of just because of where I was at the time and the fact that I loved these two records almost simultaneously. So like the whole crowd noise mm. thing. You listen to the Sgt. Pepper's record, there's plenty of songs because I think that, I mean the concept of the record is like they're playing to a crowd. So they they have like all these crowd noises in a lot of the songs and like the opening song, yeah. the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band song, the song that kicks off the album, there's crowd noises. There's crowd noises and other songs, I think, like being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, maybe in the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band reprise. And then, of course, then you've got, and it's not part of Sgt. Pepper's, but it's a Beatles album nonetheless. Um, Revolution 9 from the White Album also has like a section of it where it's just audio clip of like a rugby match or something, or maybe it's a soccer match. Yeah. Like, yeah. block that kick, block that kick. And, uh, <laughs> no. and I made those connections right away, whether or not they are, it, it, whether or not anybody else did, whether or not it was intentional. Uh, I couldn't help but to do that because of the fact that I was just getting into the Beatles around the same time. You know, it's funny because I, I think in that in the article we, we mentioned earlier in the Rolling Stone that Neil Neil Carlin wrote. Um, I I think that isn't that where Prince says, you know, oh yeah, well the Beatles are cool, but you know I I don't think they would really. Um, I, I don't think it's really relevant now. Basically, is what he says. So he mm -hmm. he somewhat denies that, but you know. 
I don't totally buy it. I, I, I very much think you're right um, that the crowd noise is reminiscent of, of the Beatles. And, and you, uh, you know a lot more about it than I do. But um, I, I don't always believe everything Prince says. <laughs> so yeah. uh, just the fact that he said that doesn't dissuade me from the fact that I think he, he may have been somewhat influenced by that. And um, yeah, just did it his own way. But yeah, I, I can see that. Been, that would have been an interesting listening experience. To, right. to sort of be hearing those in parallel yeah it really was it really was and so when i was hearing later that people were saying like oh princeton like the beatles and there was no influence on the around the world and they like bullshit no. yeah no i don't I, I i think we know i think yeah i, I don't believe everything he says <laughs> even if it wasn't right. intentional it like you right. know, it, it's, it's there it's there Right, right. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. But he put his own spit on it, which is obviously the the mark of a great artist. You can't just blatantly copy. You have to do everything that you do has to have your own spin on it. And of course, that's why it was. That's why it was like, who cares? Who cares if he was slightly influenced by a very influential band from twenty years prior? I mean, that's right. There's artists all the time that came out influ- very influenced by Prince. Um, you know, in the 90s and 2000s, and we embraced that because we're like, yeah, Prince's music was great. So I'm all about people, <laughs> you know, uh, carrying that torch on with their own music. I don't think it's a bad thing to kind of bring some of that spirit and that uh, creativity that somebody exhibited in the past into your own work. I mean, everybody's influenced by somebody. And sure, most of Prince's influences were not the Beatles, but maybe maybe for a very brief period of time or one specific album, there may have been a few. That's all I'm saying. There may have been a few, and I think we can <laughs> leave it at that. I mean, and listen, Prince did love his sound effects. You know, mm-hmm. he did. And so it, it's, it, it's also in keeping with... You know what he did in the past with Lady Cab Driver or whatever. He just, he loved his sound effects, man. So, of course, why wouldn't he drop some crowd noise in here if he'd been listening to the Beatles? And um, and it's appropriate. It fits, you know, boxing or oh, whatever, it, whatever it is. Whether it's yeah, boxing, wrestling, wrestling, boxing. The yeah. crowd pops and um, that's the way you finish the song. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah. after that, then he just kind of uh, goes back into the chorus as the song begins to fade out. So it's essentially over. Over after yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. No more. No more new lyrics to 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 dissect or speak upon. So, so that brings us to the end of, of this episode. Laura, any other final comments on Pop Life? I I think we have dissected this song like you know um, about as much as it can be dissected. It was a lot of fun. It's you know like I said, it's light lyrics you know that are deceptively deep here and there and uh, you know just song with a in addition to the lyrics just a great melody you know a great melody and um, you know one of his top charting singles so there you have it pop life yep summer of 1985 right off the heels of the success of raspberry beret they he released pop life and in the united states at least it was it was a big hit and um I think well-deserved. So, Laura, where can uh, people find you if, if they want to check you out and what you're up to? Sure. Follow me on uh, Facebook or Instagram as Laura Tebert. And um, also I have a website, lauratebert.com. Great. 
thank you so much for being my guest again. Uh, you're you're a wonderful guest of mine. I, and you're always you have a standing invitation on every every <laughs> album that I cover, Laura. So I'll well, be uh, back. You didn't you haven't scared me off yet. Despite darling Nikki, you did not scare me off. I'm back. <laughs> thank good, you so much. I would hate to do that. I don't want to. <laughs> thank you okay. for having me. Well, anytime, of course. You can reach me uh, at Presser Wine Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I have a presence on all three of those social media platforms. Find me there. Um, I'm thinking about getting into and creating a Discord for the Presser Wine Podcast. is something yeah. different. Um, it's not up and running yet, but by the time the next episode comes out, I might be uh, plugging that. So just keep on looking on my Facebook page, my Twitter page, or my Instagram, or wherever you follow the show to get a little bit uh, more information on um, a Presser Wine Discord. Because I would like to, to kind of communicate with the listeners in a, in a more concise manner. So I think that would be the avenue I would like to take with that. And if you like the show, um, you know, subscribe. If this is the first episode you've listened to and you're not a subscriber, please subscribe. And if you uh, like it, please rate it. It always helps and uh, it's appreciated to get the word out on the show. So I just wanted to thank all the listeners thus far. Thank you for joining me on this on this journey through Prince's lyrics. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.